Hello, I'm Joel Nelson, and this is the Joel vs. Arthritis podcast. So um, I'm absolutely honoured to be joined by Dr. Ashley Perkins um, from the other side of the pond for what is our Mental Health Awareness Week here over in the UK. Um, Ashley, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Yeah, I'm very good. Thank you. Um, it's been a busy weekend, but um, yeah, it's nice to be hanging out and, and chatting and going through um, some really interesting stuff on this. So, yeah, thanks ever so much for joining us. And and thank you as Absolutely. well for probably being the first guest that's, that's outside of that autoimmune pain sort of world that we have been covering so um so i know there's lots of people that are really interested to hear your story and everything so but before we get on to advocacy and the health in jail do you want to just tell everyone a little bit about, about yourself for those who don't who don't know you absolutely so a little bit about my professional side um i'm a pharmacist um i graduated in 08 um from butler university which is in indianapolis um in the united states Um, graduated with my doctorate of pharmacy, um, started as a pharmacist, um, as a community pharmacist, and worked in that area for about on and off for about 10 years with like CVS um, in a grocery store pharmacy, independent pharmacies, so in that realm, and then burnt out massively, um, and then decided I wanted to teach So I've been teaching for the past, what, three, four years now, Um, started at a pharmacy school and then uh, switched over to teaching pharmacy technician students. And that's what I'm doing right now. Um, They actually start the practicals on Monday. I'm excited. So, um, but I love teaching. Um, And then on the other side of that, um, I also deal with mental health issues. Um, I was diagnosed right out of college. So I've always had ADHD like that. Never, (laughs) that was never a question. (laughs) Always have had ADHD. Um, but over time kind of started collecting, (laughs) I say collecting, but started having more and more issues. Um, didn't really realize because we didn't really talk about these problems as openly as we do now but didn't realize I was having issues until my sister-in-law, after I graduated from school, she pulled me aside and said, hey, do you notice you do some odd behaviors that really are more extreme than normal? And I was like, really? She's an anesthesiologist. So like, she's a super intelligent doctor and I really admire and appreciate her insights. So when she said these things to me, I knew she was being sincere and I didn't take offense to her saying these things to me. And I was like, well, what do you mean? And she goes, Ashley, people don't go to the grocery store in the middle of the night. That's not normal. And I'm like, what? Like I go, I know, but like not everybody avoids going to the grocery store like, like that, like the plague. Um, I laugh at saying that now, but, um, and then like, I'd go to the mall, like on a Wednesday afternoon when it's like really not busy because people would be at work and things, or like, I'd go up to the mall. And if I saw a parking lot was packed with cars, 
I literally would turn around and leave. Like I wouldn't even try like people that many people in one place, no go at all. Um, so I avoided big groups of people. My sis, when my sister-in-law said, you need to go, she's like, I think you should see someone. So that's when I finally went and I was diagnosed with um, generalized anxiety disorder and agoraphobia. And what agoraphobia is for anyone who doesn't know what that is, um, that broken down into the scientific definition is fear of open places. Um, But more or less, it's you know, the horrible stereotype is people who are afraid to go outside and you see in movies, they stay in their house all the time. Um, but we can go outside, we can have normal lives. Uh, we just tend to avoid situations where we feel like we're trapped and we can't escape, um, or we feel like we're shut and we can't, we can't get away. Um, for me, it's just large groups of people um, where I can't, I can't feel like I can get away or like I'll find a place within the store where there's no people around and I'll just stay in that spot. Yeah. Um, so as time went on, um, I've dealt with postpartum depression, um, which unfortunately led to me being inpatient after a suicide attempt. Um, I spent five days in the hospital. Uh, I was diagnosed with um, OCD um, during that time. Um, I've dealt with alcohol issues. Um, I'm now sober. Um, That took some time before I got there. Um, Took a long time. Um, I ended up getting a DUI at one point um, and went through a lot of issues. A DUI didn't get me to quit drinking. I've done a lot of other things where it didn't get me to stop, but I finally decided my mental health was too important. That's what got me to stop drinking. And now I'm well over 1200 days sober. So uh, almost three and a half years now. So um, I've also dealt with, um, let me think. I'm also, so what got me started on this path is really the defining moment for me. And unfortunately was not an easy thing to go through for me, but I was a volunteer for a very long time for an organization that was extremely important to me. Um, For 20 years, I was a volunteer for this organization, Um, worked my way all the way up through the volunteer ranks, um, held so many positions and finally got to being a leadership seminar chair, which meant on the state level, I was in charge of the entire state leadership seminar. So I was in charge of planning and all of the volunteers, you know, making sure our seminar for that year was taken care of. And you work so hard to get to these positions and you think, you know, you've known all these people in this organization and when something happens, they'll have your back. Yeah. A board member decided to use my mental health against me. And again, when you're in a volunteer organization, you don't quite expect somebody to do something like that. And I was shocked. And I didn't report it right away because this person had always been just one of those people that is always causing problems. And I found out, though, that they had done it to somebody else I knew. 
And that person never felt like anyone would believe them. So I felt at this point, we now have a repeat behavior. I need to report it. So I reported it. And needless to say, it did not go well. Um, They didn't want to do anything. So I pushed harder because, again, I found this to be too important. Um, And I'm not the type to just sit down and be quiet when it's something that's important. And then I had retaliation issues. And I went through eight months of quite a bit of bullying, verbal and emotional abuse. And to the point that I was told I had to resign my position. I had to, well, pretty much leave. Um, And by the time I did leave, they were, I was told not to talk to anybody. I was told I was no longer supposed to like talk about it. Just pretty much they wanted to beat me down as much as they could so that I would just go away. And when I finally left, I said I would never let a group of people ever make me feel like that ever again. And I was going to share this story as much as I could because discrimination and stigma because of mental health should not happen. And if it's going to happen to somebody like me who has all the privilege education and means as I do, it happens way too often and it can happen too easily. And I need to spread awareness and make sure people know that this happens. So I had a mission and here I am and I'm going to keep sharing and making sure that we're raising awareness so that we're able to help people know how, how easily this can happen and giving people the tools that even if they can't fight back, they're able to at least have the tools so they know what's happening so that they can arm themselves. And just, well, first of all, thank you so much for sharing that um, because I know that stuff, you live with it every day and it doesn't, people don't understand how it can sort of like, it, you, you carry it, don't you? And, and, and I think the other bit is I had a proper lump listening to some of that and my palms are sweating because it's just so, such a familiar all too familiar story it happens all too much especially you know, i'm operating in a completely different area to yourself for the whole autoimmune thing and it that whole being made out to be the problem and cut adrift mm-hmm. and 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 i similar was like you that i had a bad experience um where i sort of left a, a role because of my health and attendance and everything and i said oh that never let that happen again and it's so easy to then fall into those same traps because you're made to feel like the bad guys so many times um i just want to i don't want to go back too far but i literally all my questions have gone out the window now because you've just given me a whole load of new (laughs) so if you don't (laughs) mind no i don't care go for it when you started earlier and you said about um the sort of general anxiety and everything and and a friend spoke to you about that i suppose just for for the interest of people that might be watching this or listening to it back um did you know that that at the time did you sort of think this is, might be a problem or this might not be sort of how everybody else does things or did it take that conversation to, to sort of like for you to see a different perspective on it I suppose well my husband my now husband but we were just dating at the time so because I was mostly single I didn't really notice it like it was just me so like I just thought it, I just thought I did it differently you know, when, when you're not 
when your reality isn't connected to somebody else's reality, it's like, you just don't notice it. Um, I just would go grocery shopping. I, I I distinctly remember going to Walmart at 1130 at night because it wasn't busy. And that's just when I preferred to be there. So for me, it didn't seem weird. Um, But when she said it to me, she goes, no, not everybody does that because most, most people go during the day. (laughs) And I'm like, (laughs) okay, but, but I didn't know that that was like something I should be concerned about. And then my husband actually said to me, you know, I thought you didn't like going out in public with me. And I was like, wait, what do you mean? And he's like, I thought it was because you didn't like to go out in public with me. And I was like, oh, no, no. Like, it has nothing to do with you. I just don't like to be out in public with lots of people. (laughs) So he thought I didn't like being seen with them. And I'm like, no, no. And then he actually saw me have a panic attack, like in um, a bookstore. It was during the holidays. And I like just had a panic attack because there were way too many people. And I just, and that's when he realized, oh my gosh, she really doesn't have control over this. And I think that's when he realized that that it had nothing to do with him. That's a regular response though, isn't it? Like, And I think that's why people get so isolated because people assume that it's them or it's a personal thing and they don't realize that's just your approach so i've like i've really connected with this just from the last two years we had the whole shielding thing here in the uk i imagine in in america they had a similar thing where the high risk people basically had to stay at home for months on end and i've never recaptured that sort of confident person that i was and and it is you know that whole if i go to the shops i'm doing it in the first thing in the morning or at the end or I do it with my son I find he's a good little barrier to you know it's kind of like oh I have to do it for him but if it wasn't for him there's no way I'd be so today good example I drove around three playgrounds before I found one that was empty because I promised I'd take him to the park and like I felt like an idiot you go into a car park there's all these people parents looking at you you reverse out and you go and, and it's that's them sort of things but um people think you're avoiding them don't they or that you're you've got a problem with them and it isn't this this is internal battle isn't it that you're and and like you say for a long while you don't even realize it's there you know I I didn't realize after shielding I had an issue until months later and and you know that that became clear um so thank you for obviously that then led on to other things and and the other bit I just want to touch about um and I suppose it's a bit of a trigger warning for anyone watching or listening this back is around that sort of um it's so common isn't it that you you'll try and find other ways of coping with it whether that's alcohol or you know so I talk about the noise in my head and and people sometimes confuse mm-hmm. that with voices things it's not it's that whole the weight of worry and and overthinking and everything else um and yeah I just I don't know I'd like to dig into that a little bit more because I, I I want people to know that are watching this that that is a really common thing that people turn to isn't it and are you okay talking about that if we oh absolutely oh absolutely so was that like was that by design or or as like in my experience did it just kind of happen as a way of trying to find an escape I guess well I mean in college we all we all did it I mean pharmacy school is by far one of the toughest things I've ever done um 
it was hard. <laughs> it was rough. And I mean, luckily I had all of my friends, but we all drank too much. Um, we all did. I mean, most of us will sit there and say we all, we all drank too much. Um, but when you're in college, you just don't think about it. Um, cause you're all doing it together. Um, but for me, mine didn't end in college. Mine continued. Um, and it was, um, it was an unhealthy coping mechanism. It was my way of when I got home from whether it was work or whatever, but if I, it was a stressful day, I drank. If I was, you know, stressed about something else, whatever, if I wanted to shut all of that stuff off in my head, drink, because then it shut everything off. I didn't have to listen to it. I didn't have to feel it. I didn't have to deal with it. Numb at all. Yeah. And that's, that's exactly what I did. And it would get destructive. And then I'd notice it would get destructive. So I'd stop doing it for a while. Um, and I'd be fine. Like I wouldn't, I wouldn't drink for a while. And then I'd be like, okay, now I'm okay. So I can have one. And then I'd end up drinking more and then it'd start getting unhealthy again. And then I'd start cycling again. And then I'd notice it was getting to be a problem again. So then I'd stop and I just kept doing this cycle. And I do this cycle and I do this cycle and I do this cycle. And again, I ended up with a DUI in 2013. Um, I, I was out my husband was coming home from a work trip. I was at, I was at a restaurant. Um, it was a restaurant we went to all the time. Um, and one of the people that worked there was actually going to drive me home. And, um, he went to like get changed real quick. And when he came back, I was gone. I just decided, I guess to go <laughs> and cause I don't remember. Um, and so I drove and ended up hitting a retaining wall. Um, pulled my right um, front wheel off its axle, um, continued to drive while dragging my tire and then got myself home. And I was almost to my door when the police got there. And I, I suppose so, it was, but you, you mentioned earlier that that didn't stop you. So I suppose nope. because it's not the, the source of the problem, is it? It's almost secondary to yep. it's a it's a coping thing or or subsequent of of the yeah. that underlying health issue and i think people yeah. miss that sometimes don't they they think oh that wouldn't that shock yeah. you into because that's not the problem yeah i never i never drank and drove again yeah. so that was enough for me to never do that again um i never if i was gonna be you know if i knew i was driving that night i would drink at dinner i would i never drank and drove ever again like I learned my lesson um with that one I was not because again I was lucky I didn't lose my license to yeah. practice um my to do pharmacy like I was very lucky um because I was scared um that I was gonna lose my license so I was very lucky I didn't lose my license in any of the states that I was licensed because at the time I was licensed in two states in the U.S. so I was very lucky um so I wasn't, I wasn't tempting anything at that point. So I wasn't doing it again. Um, but yeah, it didn't get me to stop drinking. And it wasn't until 
2019, January of 2019. So what? So 2013 to 2019, so six years later is when I finally quit drinking. Yeah. Yeah. Um, thank you for sharing that, like I say. So Absolutely. It feels like a privilege to hear that so candidly and, and, and everything. So, uh, yeah, thank you on behalf of everyone listening and, and watching. And um, and you, saw, uh, you, you spoke about that experience going through and then it kind of, it was sort of like what happened in your career and everything that it sounded like, correct me if I'm wrong, that that was kind of like that turning point of, I don't want anyone to go through that again. Um, so how did you, how did you make that change? Like, was it a conscious thing? Was it just out of circumstance or, you know, what, what, what got you to sort of find your voice, I guess? Well, once I, I mean, once that volunteer organization had just beat me down so much, I mean, first of all, it's embarrassing to admit as a strong, as a strong professional, someone who has worked in her career, because my volunteer work and my career work were very different. Mm -hmm. um, like, so in my career, a strong career professional woman. And then in my volunteer work, I had allowed a group of individuals to beat me down so bad to the point that, but at this point it was July of 2019. And I was, I had lost 15 pounds because my anxiety was so bad. I couldn't eat. I was barely, my husband was keeping me alive practically at this point. I, I was barely functioning. Um, thank goodness for my therapist too, uh, and my psychiatrist. I mean, I had a support system like you couldn't imagine. And I'm very fortunate for that support system because they were keeping me alive. And if it had not been for them, um, but I had let a group of people absolutely demolish me and it's embarrassing to admit that. But when I finally realized what I had allowed to happen I was like no no I, this has one this has to stop and two now I'm going to use this and I'm going to do something I didn't know what I was going to do yeah. but I have to do something because this can't happen to other people. I was like, I can't let other people go through this because what I just have gone through is horrible. And I mean, I have PTSD from it and I've been, I mean, I'm still going through it and I'm still dealing with, I'm doing a lot better than I was when I first, you know, started dealing with it. But, you know, I, re I refuse to let other people go through this because I wouldn't even wish this on the people who did this to me. And that's saying something. So like, I, I just knew I had to do something. And so I just started to do something. Yeah. It's crazy how much that people have that sort of that, that flashpoint moment. So like for me, there was a treatment change that was beyond my control. And, and I was exactly the same. I was like, people cannot go through what I did and nobody's talking about this. And I just, I think I, I would have just gone 
down a very dark path if I didn't find an outlet and, and advocacy sort of became that outlet. But very similar to you, I had no idea what I was going to do. <laughs> I just I just yeah. knew I had to do. So mine started with like writing because it was kind of all I felt I could do. And then it kind of went off on on this tangent. Um, but yeah, I find that really fascinating. And I, and I think um, that doesn't seem to get talked about enough, does it? That, that you can turn those negative situations into good. So how... So do you want to talk us a little bit? I don't mind which order you want to do it in, but either like your advocacy itself or the finding of sort of We Matter too. Um, you know, I, I'd like to explore that, but I don't know the timeline. So do you want to maybe um, pick that up in whatever order you, you, you fancy? Yeah, I mean, I knew I had a unique platform being a pharmacist because, you know, as as pharmacists and as medical providers, we're not, we're not told directly, but we're indirectly told we really shouldn't share as openly as I share. Um, I mean, I openly share about my DUI. <laughs> um, I openly share about a lot of situations that I've gone through that you wouldn't normally hear from a medical provider. And, you know, I chose to go ahead and just open my life into a pretty open book to show that stigma's bullshit, pardon my language, yes, but that it is. Um, because I've been able to achieve everything, people that don't deal with these situations, I've been able to achieve just as much as they have while dealing with all of these things. And I thought the way to do that was to just show that I've been through all this stuff and I've done all this stuff and look, guess what? I can do it. Um, and I figured if we're going to fight stigma, the time is now for us to finally share our stories out loud and actually show that stigma isn't true. Yeah. And what better way to do that than as a pharmacist? And so my idea for We Matter 2 came from the book that I, I wrote when I was really pissed off. <laughs> um, but the book's coming, it's slowly coming, but um, we actually have a cover and every, I have a cover and all that stuff. So we're getting there, but uh, We Matter Too came from the title, I Matter Too, which is the title of my book. But my friend, John, who was always very close to me, um, he was my assistant when I was um, the leadership seminar chair, but he has always been a loyal friend. But when I got the idea for We Matter 2, I called him and I said, you know, the way to end stigma is to openly share stories and show people that we can live our lives and do it by openly sharing our stories. He's like, well, what if we start a nonprofit that does that? And he's like, I like that idea. So we did. We didn't plan to do start it the month before the pandemic. <laughs> but we did <laughs> there seems to be a lot of people that had that sort of um perfect yeah. time and sort of thing because <laughs> we literally started the paperwork like the last week of uh february 2020 <laughs> with a donation from actually my grandmother passed away um january 30th of 2020 thank goodness because i'm glad she didn't have to go through all this um but my parents gave us the donation to do all the paperwork so that we didn't have to worry about it. Um, and so we did it. We were like, let's just do this. So we started the paperwork 
And um, we had our first board meeting January, 2021. And then we were able to get our nonprofit status. But really what we do is I do the peer support stuff on um, Twitter. And then we amplify stories on Instagram and Twitter, our website. We share people's books, blogs. You know, we're just, we're all about sharing other people's stories because what I didn't like is how you have to be mostly well and get a large following on, on a social media platform in order to get your story out there. Yeah. You shouldn't have to work so hard to get your story out there as far as I'm concerned, because again, the title and the name of our organization is We Matter Too. All of our stories matter all of them. And so that's why we amplify stories, all of them. It doesn't matter. We want everybody's story to get out there. And that's what it's all about. Yeah, that that really is like the example I can I can relate to that in that I've been doing this for three or four years now, and it is only now this year that I'm getting the opportunity to speak to medical professionals, and and then I'm, I'm doing this as almost like a second job, but it's still taken that long to get in the right rooms with people to, who can actually decision makers to make the difference. So it's just a shame that there's all these people out there that have got much more powerful stories than me that are far more better at telling them but they haven't got the time, the energy, or they're in that dark place in their journey that I was, or maybe yourself was, and sharing it just seems like Everest, you know, you're never going to do it. So you should be really proud of what you're creating. And and do you want to tell people, I'll put this obviously all in the show notes on the podcast, um, do you want to tell people where they can find um, We Matter Too, and and if they want to get involved or help, how they could maybe do that? Yeah, so we our website is wematter2.org. That's our website. And then you can always find me on Twitter. I'm there like all the time. <laughs> it's at because I matter. That's me. I'm on Twitter like all the time. Um, and then all of our social media is at we matter to INC. So if you do at we matter to INC on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook, you'll find us. Um, it's all the same. So we are on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And then we're also, you know, our, our website. And our social media is taken care of by Ariana and Sarah. They are two of our board members. They take care of all of our social media stuff. So um, they usually get back pretty quick with people. So, and then Ariana takes care of all of our website stuff. So. And yet you should, you know, I say, should be super proud of that because <laughs> it is like, it's, it's, it's leave you can see where you've been, put it that way. And at, at the end of the day with advocacy, that's all I think you can ask for, isn't it? You know, you know, John and I sit there, we, we still talk about it. Cause I mean, John and I talk at least once a week and I, I, we didn't expect it to go as quickly as it did. And I never expected to get to where I was personally as quickly as I did. But like I said, when I, I mean, I, I was on a mission and that day when I, I mean, I, I can see it even in my mind right now as I'm talking about it, but I, I was on a mission 
and I was not going to stop and I'm, I'm not going to either because I mean, and the, the organization, I mean, they're an international organization. They don't scare me. Um, <laughs> but I'm going to keep telling it because again, I want people to know what happened. And unfortunately, I can't tell you how many people I've helped through similar situations or other situations. And because I share this story, they, they are noticing the stigma. They're noticing it's happening. And that's why I do it. And that's why I share it because they're like, oh my gosh, I saw it or it's happening or this is, and I'm like, I'm sorry, what can I do to help? And, and, and you're, you're, not, you're probably not giving yourself enough credit in what you've achieved individ, as an individual in terms of like your Wego Award. And you, you've, I think you've done TEDx speaking as well, haven't you? And so to do it in such a short and from the place you came as well, I think is just phenomenal. Um, and also probably says a lot for the, the support and care team and everything you've had around you on that journey, I imagine. I, and that's the thing, like John, my co founder, he's he's always telling me to stop but I'm like I I'll keep doing it but if I didn't have him next to my side most of the time I I don't know where I'd be um and then of course my husband and my family like I have one of the best I am very fortunate I have a wonderful support system because they're always there by my side and you know supporting me and again through that year that I went through all that stuff I mean, again, I couldn't have done it without them. And I think that's another really important thing for a lot of people with mental health issues is that support systems are so important and it is truly important to have them, even if it's only one or two people, because we, they are, they're so important for us because we need those people so we can lean on them when we need them the most, especially when we're struggling. And, and I don't know what it's like um, in your part of the world, but here in the UK, as well as maintaining those support systems. So like getting access to a sort of course of CBT or, or wellbeing therapies or whatever isn't that difficult, but it's a very time limited thing. And then you sort of you're back out into the world and you have to keep adding these sort of tools to your toolbox. But getting that continued support is difficult. And I think one of the things I learned um, is that that self-management bit you know and identifying when you're having your wobbles or so for me is that that low mood thing so I'll stop doing the things I love you know and my advocacy you'll really notice it so if I'm having a really bad week I don't do any Instagram posts or I cancel that stream or and but now I've learned to recognize that stuff so I suppose what would your advice be and I know everyone's journey is different and there's an individual thing but for those people that in terms of like a self-management point of view what sort of advice would you give for that for those that might be struggling yeah I mean I just recently because I I've I've just recently going through burnout myself um after teaching for eight straight months um you know it's just been one of those things and I know I started to notice it myself and when you have to maintain um in order until you can get to a break where you have a longer period of rest um if you can recognize, like you were saying, um, if you can recognize that it's coming before you crash and burn, um, that's better because you want to try to not crash and burn um, because it's going to be worse. 
Um, so doing those, so what I was doing is because of course I can't cancel my classes. I have to keep teaching. Um, so I have to maintain until I can, I could get to the last day of class. So on the weekends, I was making sure I wasn't working and I was enjoying like my family time or making sure I was getting extra rest or, um, I love to knit. So I was doing extra, like knitting or I was um, making sure I added some extra self-care things. So whatever self-care things you enjoy doing, do extra um, to make sure you're maintaining through the week or whatever you have to do that you can't just not do because you have to do it um, to maintain until you can get to whatever last day there is. And, uh, I noticed as I was getting closer and closer to that last day, um, the, the little bursts of, of rest were not, not maintaining me through the week as much. Um, but those, those rests were at least getting me through the weeks, um, so that I could at least get to my last day. And like, I was starting to like, Normally, I would eat my dinner in, in the classroom with the students. Um, instead, I was going and eating my dinner outside um, to switch it up because then I was getting outside of the classroom, give myself a little extra break, be outside in nature. You know, it was sunny just to give me a little extra pick me up. Again, just something extra. So, finding different things to kind of give you that extra like oomph to get you through because. I, I was, I was struggling hard. And then my last day was the 11th and these past few days have been nice because I've been able to rest. And today I finally did laundry and I could tell I'm finally getting that energy back. So it's starting to get better. And then you have that whole battle of pacing and boom and bust and trying not to do too much on the good days. Right. Yeah, it's a, it's a common exactly. theme that comes up in, in our autoimmune world anyway. Um, but the, the, you're right, because I think a lot of people um, listening to this will probably relate to that whole, you're sort of, any t- downtime you get is it's almost like a quick battery recharge to do the day job or whatever. It's, 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 not, a, it's not a fun, healthy way to live you know I, I would often find by the friday night i was in such scream and pain from a physical you know condition that my saturday sunday was spent in bed and then you go into work on monday and everyone's like oh did you have a nice weekend was it restful did you go anywhere and you, no i literally was in agony getting on top of that ready for monday and and and, and people don't realize how different that life is compared to the normal whatever is normal but you know what i mean um right so yeah so that's uh, that's just spot on and it's funny those similarities doesn't matter what the condition that that lifestyle seems to be the same um if you i suppose had to say we've talked about the value of people sharing their stories and and everything else and and if people are feeling and i know it is a jump for a lot of people it certainly felt like a jump for me and it was only similar to yourself when i found the release it gave me sharing my story that it kind of become a bit of a i guess you swap one addiction for another almost but it's a healthy one um what would you say to sort of somebody thinking about sharing their story that, you know, either how to start or that might encourage them to, um, to do that? Um, just do it. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, honestly, like find, find a place and do it. Like I, you know, when I 
because I was on because you're on Facebook and Facebook is like horrible recently but that's another that's a whole nother thing <laughs> but um you know I realized these are all people I know and if I want to get my story and the information I have out there I've got to go someplace else where people don't know me so I went to Twitter and I knew nothing about Twitter I was like I don't know what I'm doing but I'm just going to create a different account and I'm just going to go out here and do something and just go with it. So June of 2020 is actually when I joined Twitter with the account I have now. And I mean, I have an old account that I used to use, but you know, it's ancient and uh, I call it my antique account. And uh, so I joined June of 2020 and I just started tweeting mental health stuff. And now, not even two years later, the account is what it is. And uh, I mean, we've, we've, we have this wonderful mental health community. I gotta say the mental health community on Twitter is just by far one of the most accepting and supportive communities I've been part of. And they've even helped me through some pretty rough stuff. So, you know, and I just did doing and sharing and, creating opportunities for myself that I didn't even realize were there. And I didn't know what, I, you know, I don't know what I'm doing half the time. I fly by the seat of my pants 95% of the time. People ask me, do you schedule your treat? Nope. I don't schedule okay. anything. I just am doing whatever half the time. And I don't even know half the time what I'm going to do. And I just go with it. Because that's what I found works if I just go with it. And if people want to share their stories, share them. Because it's going to make you feel better. And it's going to help you heal. Because honestly, I think me... And when I started well, writing my book that, that I'm working on right now, writing the book honestly helped a lot. It helped a lot. Massively undervalued. <laughs> so yeah, it's my um, doctor that told me to do it. And I said, you just need to. And, and I think I made the mistake. If I'd done a post on Facebook, hey, I've done a post on Facebook and mine has always been locked down. We used to work in schools and academies and it was just a dangerous place to have a public profile. And, and it was the first ever post that I did where I changed the privacy to public and it just went mad I had like two three hundred shares and more shares than I had friends on Facebook and that terrified me and it literally almost made me just scurry away back into a hole and and then so then I started doing the whole oh, Joel verse after I was blogging and I didn't tell anyone about it for months because nobody was ever going to know because I hadn't told anyone I had this condition for most of my life and so I think yeah anyone listening to this or, or watching now the um you can be anonymous on the internet, use that to your advantage if that helps you take that first step, essentially. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's plenty of people that I've talked to on Twitter. I don't, I have no clue who they are. I mean, I, and that's fine. I mean, with mental health, um, people are still terrified to share and I, I don't blame them. I yeah. don't blame them one bit. I mean, look what happened to me. I mean, seriously, like, I don't blame people. And when people ask me my honest opinion about if they should share at work, I, I tell them, do you feel safe? And if they're, if they stop and they're not sure if they're safe to say something at work, I tell them not to share. I'm like, cause guess what? 
it, once once the cat's out of the bag, they can use it against you. Yep. And look what happened to me. I am a prime example of what can happen. And I'm not going to sit here and tell you it's safe to to share because it's not. And, and, and that 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 spat i think it's even worse for mental health and, and and issues but even like the first um job i lost because of my arthritis and attendance and everything i was off for low mood it wasn't actually pain or anything that had me off it was mental health issues the depression of living with this long-term thing and part of the makeup behind me getting served my notice was because I had a tattoo and I put it on Facebook um, without knowing the context that my therapist had told me do something for myself and family had paid for it for my birthday and it was like this release thing and it was it was a tattoo for my my dead grandparents and and that was used as a um as yeah and and, and unfortunately these so there's only two of us on this call and we've both had those experiences and um so so I think yeah if you want to share your stories guys when when Ashley says do you feel safe I don't think you ever really know until you get to a subject like that because I certainly felt very safe in that role and I love the people I work with and I miss them all I worked there for nearly a decade and um and I was cut adrift in a heartbeat just because I'd gone from fit and healthy well managed to flare and Joel that nobody recognized you know and and then it caused the mental health issues so um so yeah I it's definitely worth testing the water um behind a sort of veil of privacy um even if you just do it as a release even like I say bloggers a good one pick a random name and just blog to the world and, and they never yeah. need to know <laughs> exactly and 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 people and I tell people all the time I'm like do you want to work in a place that's not going to support your mental health and if their answer is no, then I'm like, then them knowing is not always a bad thing either. So you have yeah. to pick and choose yeah. what you want and then decide accordingly. Yeah. If that's what, if you don't want to work in a place that's going to support your mental health, then not being there is going to be better for you anyway. So you just have to pick and choose your risk, risk assessment before you go into everything. And, and a lot of anyone who's had sort of mental health therapies and things, especially talking therapies, a lot of it is around perspective shift and things like that, isn't it? And seeing things from different angles. And and I think, um, yeah, it's very easy for, for your health and for those around you to get you into that negative space, mm-hmm. isn't it? That you're the problem, that you're being a rat. Like if I had a pound for every time somebody used my mental health mood to say you're being irrational or you're just miserable against me. And and I've only sort of like, you know, mine is sort of that. I always say that mine goes hand in hand with my physical condition because it causes a low mood depression and, you know, on occasion sort of suicidal thoughts and things like that. Um, but the minute you share that, even now with people that know you so well, if they don't like what you're saying in any conversation, it could even be a subject about sport. <laughs> It'll be like, oh, well, that's, that's just dumb. You're being irrational and, and it makes your blood boil, doesn't it? <laughs> oh, yeah. It, the, second, the second that even now, the I've not had anything to do with this organization since August of 2019. And anytime I spout off about them, because again, my therapist is like, you're allowed to be angry for what they did. You know, we very much validate my anger because the organization never did. So we validate my anger. Um, that's one thing that my therapist does. And so when I get angry, I'm allowed to be angry, rightfully so. 
I love when I hear back from people, they're worried about your mental health. Of course they are. I'm angry. <laughs> or, or they're only worried about your mental health when it's the, like in a work setting, I find, when when you are perceived to be the problem. You know, they weren't worried about your mental health when you were building up to burnout and all the signs were there and it starts with the odd day absence or you might be a little bit flustered or maybe, you know, you work with people long enough, you know how they handle situations and the flags are always there. Like, you know, as my job as a manager is to recognise when, which in a remote world has been impossible, um, you know, it's to recognise when that person who's always on time comes in late or that person who's normally really well dressed isn't looking a bit disheveled or something and and um so that that frustrates me as well that line because we're worried about your mental health well you're only worried about it when it got to a point that it was a problem for you you weren't worried about it when I kept telling you I was struggling (laughs) right like when I was actually telling you yeah (laughs) but but you know or overtly telling you you were hurting me yeah but now when I'm angry at you now it's a problem yeah because i challenged or because i spoke up and, yeah. <laughs> exactly exactly yeah. i get a lot of people asking about like whistleblower processes and things like that so i just don't trust that I know, I know there are places out there that i'm sure are brilliant but i can't you know if if you're in a place where you don't feel supported and you feel like your health is being used against you a little bit i don't know my my experience and it is real experience is that somebody with a dedicated title in the same organization the same culture gonna do any differently you know you're you're jumping into the void aren't you a little bit (laughs) so hr as i have learned is not there for you they're there for the company so you don't go to hr um I have learned the hard way that the people that are supposed to be there to protect you are not there to protect you. They're there to protect the organization. So we didn't really, cause we were a volunteer organization, which muddied everything. Yeah. Um, they were there. So the, the lawyers that the organization had were really there only to protect the organization from any issues, not to protect me. So I found out the hard way. And I have also learned that HR, when it comes to it, HR is only worried about them and the company. So when it comes down to it, they'll throw you under the bus to protect the company and themselves. So when I get asked these questions about like legal stuff or whatever, you need to create a paper trail. Never, ever, like everything needs to be written down. Keep them in your email as much as possible. Don't ever let them get you on the phone because as soon as they take you out of your email onto the phone, um, then they can say they didn't say something um, or you said something that you didn't say. So try to keep them in your emails. They would try to get me off, off my e- out of my emails onto the phone all the time. And I was like, I know what you people are doing. No. Email. No phone calls. Um, keep them so you have documentation of what's happening um, so that you have it all. Um, and that if you have to have a phone call, what you do is as soon as the phone call is done, you document everything, put everybody on an email, and then you send it out. Yeah. And then you like make sure you can. And... Exactly. 
um, record everything, you know, make, if you need a found, you can have a recording, say, may I record this, you know, record it. Um, cause I have every text message. I have every email I have, I do have a recording of a phone call. I have everything. And I still have it to this day. So if for some reason they do want to come at me, I have it. Yeah. And it's sad, but the other thing I've found is even this, when you've got really good people in those roles, a culture, bad culture trumps everything. So you could have the, yep. the, the most kind, honest, good intention people in those roles. But if they are hitting a ceiling because of, a culture then then there is no changing that and and unfortunately like you said about the whole right paper trial thing i've learned that the hard way you know the amount of times in the course of my career when i've been shouted and screamed at and nobody's seen it and i should have just said go away but i think that the built-in i think probably what makes me so good at being an advocate that um that honesty trying to help people please a kind of <laughs> element mm -hmm. is what makes me so vulnerable with my conditions in the workplace right. unfortunately because you don't you try to help and then it ends up yeah um, you end up giving somebody a platform to and and the thing is when your confidence is here because of your ongoing health issues and theirs is there it's very difficult to um take a strong position in those in those conversations so i'm just I'm just sorry it's such a common you know for anyone else out there listening to this that's had that experience it know that you're not alone and again it is the reason why sharing these experiences is important isn't it because, absolutely so those people know that um absolutely I'm, I'm, I'm really conscious of your time because i think we could probably talk for hours <laughs> and i promise you only be sort of 40 45 minutes oh it's um, all right no worries <laughs> is there um what i guess there's a couple of things i'm interested in. What, what is what's the future for you? Like obviously you've achieved so much in such a short space of time and you've come so far both in terms of management, your health and, and, and your advocacy. Um, I suppose, yeah, what's the future for Dr. Ashley Perkins um, on an advocacy point of view? Well, we're, I'm hoping that the book will come out this summer. I'm hoping. Can't wait um, to read. Uh, we're, we're, we're hoping, um, I'm working on it. Um, my peer readers are currently reading it right now. My editor's helping me work on it. So we are getting closer to a finished product. Um, so, and it, so to let everyone know, um, it's pretty much my story, um, of dealing with a lot of what I've gone through in my life, um, and overcome, um, it talks about all of my diagnoses, um, as I, I've, um, as I kind of like was diagnosed with them, um, and I include research. So I want to have, and I did some, I did the research. Um, I talk about stigma. I talk about, um, actually I did research into bullying, um, because unfortunately I've dealt with that. Um, and so, and of course I talk about the discrimination. I put research in about that. Um, and I talk about, you know, unfortunately, microaggressions and the and how it relates to stigma mm -hmm. in that sense. Um, and of course, I talked about my DUI. Um, and I really expand a lot. So a lot of the stories people have heard, I really expand upon them and all the other things that I've gone through. And I just expand upon them. And it's all in this book. I can't wait to read. I saw it was on the cover. I think you um, 
gave us sort of sneak yeah. peek of it. That, that looks amazing. And, I'm so excited. And, yeah. And there needs to be more um, books of these journeys, you know, because I think there's, there's, there's one thing you sort of share in the story is like, just do it if you can and you feel comfortable and everything else. But I think for, for the journey that you've gone through, it's just, well, I was absolutely hooked just listening to your introduction tonight. So um, yeah, I can't wait to read it in, in depth. And I'm sure plenty of the people watching this and listening to this back will, will feel the same. So so I will like, just remind you guys, I'll put um, all of um, links to Ashley's socials and everything where you can find her work um, in the show notes for the podcast when it comes out and on the video um, when it goes up as well of this, this recording. So check it out <laughs> um but i will let you go now um thank you ever so much for spending your time with us um it's been an absolute Absolutely. pleasure and massively insightful and um yeah until next time thank you ashley really appreciate it you're welcome absolutely this podcast was recorded on the joel versus arthritis twitch channel if you would like to watch the podcast recorded live be a part of the audience ask questions or generally just get involved more then please head over to twitch.tv forward slash joel versus arthritis you can also find recordings of the podcasts in video form on our youtube channel again search joel versus arthritis thank you very much for listening